Welcome back. This is Rick Anderson, Managing Director at PTV Healthcare Capital, and this is Top Talks. We're uh, Today, we're both honored and privileged to have one of the thought leaders in ophthalmology today, both contemporary thought leader and uh, also longitudinally, has really helped shape, our, shape the industry of ophthalmology, Dr. Stephen Slade from here in Texas. Dr. Slade, welcome to Austin. We're glad you're here. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Rick. And Dr. Slade is also the 2016 awardee for the Star of Texas Award that we give every year to thought leaders who really shape the, not just their field, but also the field of healthcare. And Dr. Slade, you've been a wonderful uh, partner to industry, you've been a wonderful partner to as a clinician, and we know that you've done a ton of work in, in thought leadership, not just in the clinical community, but shaping the sort of R&D and innovation landscape for the space. And we'd love to have just introduce yourself to the audience, just give them some background about your background, but as a person. Um, and then I want to really delve into, you know, thought leadership. And what does it take to be a thought leader in a space? But would you mind just introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Stephen Slade, and I do cornea and cataract surgery um, in Houston. I'm in private practice, and if grew up in Houston, so have, have been there a long time. I guess you, you use the word longitudinally. Does that mean I've been, a, I'm old, or is that, just I've been around for a long time? You've seen a lot of changes. Okay, <laughs> all right. I, I, I thought that maybe was like new speak for he's really old. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I've been just so lucky uh, to be able to work with industry, which I guess is sort of a, uh, synonym for thought leader. So much of what we do uh, as an ophthalmologist, as a surgeon, is dependent upon having good, innovative products from industry that we can work with. And early on, um, I managed to work with some early technology and be involved in the development of that uh, to commercialization, uh, LASIK. And, you know, it's it's a small group of people, as you know, and through that, you know, kind of the same people, um, things like laser cataract surgery and all LASIK laser and accommodating eye wells and the whole bit. And to me, it's been just one of the most fun things that I do to see something go from an idea to early outside U.S. work to uh, cases in the United States, get it through the FDA, which um, I've had um, you know, a lot of interesting, uh, fun times with that. Um, and then just getting it, um, getting it through commercialization, just because something goes to the FDA doesn't mean it's going to really pass um, the real world test. So uh, it's, that's kind of what, um, that's kind of how I define thought leader, somebody who can take a first look uh, at early technology, learn about it, help it along, then turn around and share that, share those learnings with other surgeons. And you know, a big part of the role is sharing those learnings with the company. A good thought leader is somebody who is honest, critical, constructively critical, 
um, and discreet. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's really, I think, what they're after, um, companies. They want you to work with them, tell the truth, offer up suggestions that you can do from a surgical perspective that they don't know from a business perspective, and um, just try to be helpful, be discreet. Dr. Lynn, you've worked with big companies, you work with small companies over the years in terms of this development and innovation. I want to just, I want to talk about healthcare in general just for a second. Your talk today about sort of the future and what's happening with baby boomers, et cetera. Those, these are big changes coming for us in terms of how we're going to deal with that. Can you just talk to our audience about your view of the changing landscape in healthcare in general? I, I, I'd really like to come back to that of mm -hmm. specific ophthalmology, but just get the big picture if you don't mind. Talk yeah. about it's sort of competing, um, it, it's sort of competing demographics or competing desires if you think about it. You have a group of people in the U.S., the baby boomers, the richest, um, the um, just huge demographic, the largest identifiable demographic uh, group that we have had. And then you have up against the constraints of the healthcare system, uh, the cost, um, getting a lot of other people to pay for all of these aging people. So just in general, we're seeing a real interesting split between patient pay, um, procedures that aren't necessarily covered, and those that are covered and will be paid for by everybody for a few. And, and, and that's really, uh, in my mind, the basis for a lot of the problems um, that we're seeing with the financing. It, it, it's rationing of health care, right. which is a good thing. Right. I want our government to provide a certain amount and then let us have access to the rest of it. So I think you know your question was uh, changes as far as populations to healthcare. I think that's the main thing. I think that's the broadest example that I could. That's see. like we, can we talk about that just a little bit because it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Specifically in ophthalmology, it seems to me that there are products that are good enough mm -hmm. that most of us in the population will work fine for. But from the self-pay marketplace, advanced IOLs and sort of advanced technologies that are in development that are coming to market that you've been sort of shepherding. Do you see that bifurcation happening where we as a consumer, consumer of healthcare, mm -hmm. we're obviously writing bigger checks for copays and mm -hmm. other things, mm -hmm. but do you see that at some point being the most dominant part of, part of the growth of healthcare? Or do you think that the companies will develop sort of the me too's to sort of compete in the, like it, you know, the 70% solution that'll work for mm -hmm. Is the innovation gonna be really only in that sort of self-pay, future pay sort of category? where the consumer pays play mm -hmm. more role. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I, I think the innovation will apply across the board. Um, you know, perhaps the, the one of the defining events was in IOLs when the very first premium IOL right. was passed, and that was Andy Corley, who I'm sure you know. Yeah. Um, and it really wasn't a matter of saying, well, this IOL is you know, standard. Uh, for sort of the masses, and then this is an IOL for others. They actually separated out the functions of the IOL. And in the same IOL, they assigned uh, something called the, this was CMMS 
the dual aspect rule, saying that the IOL had the function of correcting aphakia, which is a loss of focusing power. Then a second, and that's what Medicare covers, or that's what CMMS covers. Then it had an additional aspect that it gave you back accommodation or some near vision, and they don't cover that. So that's the way I see it going. Um, coverage of a certain amount of services, not so much how you do that service, if you use a laser to take the cataract out, if you use a golden scalpel to cut a mole out, you don't charge any more. It's the service. So certain services that are covered, and then just a clear demarcation between things that aren't covered. Right. The, um, we're going to see more and more of that. The government will pay to keep you from going blind. They will pay for cataract surgery. They will pay to put in an IOL. They may not pay for something where you don't have to wear reading glasses. So that makes perfect sense. And we see it in categories across the board where, where patients are willing to pay for, willing to pay yeah. for a better outcome of some kind. And not to say that the, their standard outcome is not a good outcome, to say that they're they're looking for incremental, and I think your point, your point this morning about you know the baby boomer population that's the demanding population totally in general. So they're willing to they're willing to push it even further. Um, I want to shift gears on you again. Go back to entrepreneurs for a second. As we told you, our audience are um, you know small company folks that are they're trying to they're out there struggling. You've probably seen a ton of success in terms of companies that have made it looking at your track record of the technology you've been associated with, you have a higher than average success ratio, but I'm, I'm sure you've also seen some companies have struggled. And it'd be interesting to get you to talk about from your seat as a thought leader working with some of these companies, both big and small, what is there, are there common denominators or sort of predictive pitfalls that these companies sort of struggle with mm. in terms of technology um, development, innovation, sort of working shape to space? That's, that's a great question, and again, I have been just really kind of dumb lucky in a lot of these things to get involved with the right people, and it's back to the relationship aspect, but, and just kind of ridden along with them for a lot of successes. Now, I've also seen some failures. I was on the board of a um, IOL company that was novel and intriguing and was to address uh, accommodation and it was a total fail. The company absolutely um, went out. Was it failure of leadership actually or was it failure of technology? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. yes. And so that, you know, the last part of your question was were there common things that do it? And certainly a failure of technology. This, the concept, and I'll just use this, this company as an example, the concept was excellent. Uh, we had two failures due to the construction, the materials that were used, a glue that was used, um, that were just devastating. Mm. This company was working to get to the point to where they could go into FDA trials. So when you have to restart, you can imagine. And finally, the, after two of those, the investors gave up. 
a failure of leadership. Wouldn't it be great if the, you know, chairman of, um, I don't know, Bill Gates or, um, you know, that type of level was available for every small company, but they're not. They're not. And a lot of companies just aren't, you know, small startups, they aren't able to get the type of leadership that they really need. A lot of small companies, the inventor uh, stays too long in a leadership role. A lot of these companies don't have the necessary uh, sense of urgency. And I, I believe I mentioned it here. You don't control when your product is replaced by something better. You can only control how soon you get the uh, PMA file into the mail for FDA. Uh, how soon you actually make the call to schedule the pre-IDE. Uh, do you work Saturday and get it out on Monday or do you come in Monday and then mail it out on Tuesday? I mean, all those things add up. Um, strong partners obviously help. There's a lot more bill to buy going on that I see. Uh, it's a great model. Yeah. Um, there are uh, getting the right key opinion leaders, the right consultants. Um, I like to think that um, I'm pretty good being given an early product, put it into patients, and say, you know, this tends to work and this doesn't. And there's nothing magical about that. I mean, it's surgical skills, which, you know, I'd make a great basket weaver or a great plumber, you know. So there's nothing like genius level about it. But you do have to have somebody with reasonable skills right. who will then report back um, credible, useful information um, calmly. It's um, being in the right place, California, probably a lot of it, doing your OUS trials in the right place, having a board that is, um, you know, you can stack a board with investors, you can stack a board um, with all sorts of different people, but the board of a small company like these startups is just critical. Um, in my experience, a board in a small company has a much larger role um, than the board in a big company. That makes perfect sense, Dr. Slater. And that's been our experience as well, which is that all these companies struggle. Mm -hmm. These are never straight lines. And having access to people like you that have the experience to sort of say, look, I think, I think um, that if you make this change to that technology or you, make, or you make this change in your strategy, you'll have an accelerated path. Something you said today in your talk about the sense of urgency, we, we totally agree with that. The companies that we like to see, the leaders we like to see, have this burning sense of urgency to get it done. Yeah, and it's the, and it's not just an efficiency of the of bringing a technology to the marketplace. It's the passion associated with doing that to get it to patients. Dr. Slade, um, just one last question for you: If you could give one bit of advice to an entrepreneur, and of all the entrepreneurs you sort of got spent time with, and you spent time with both world-class investors large strategic CEOs and, and small companies. What, what one piece of advice might you give them in terms of hmm. sort of takeaway message from you as a thought leader? If you're a small company CEO trying to get your technology approved, 
trying to get it in the market, trying to get it in the hands of docs, to, you know, to make patients have so patients have a better experience in life. What advice would you give them? I guess my one piece of advice is get lots of pieces of advice <laughs> from lots of different people. But I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at that. If I were a, uh, if I were to give one piece of advice, um, I, I truly believe that my one piece of advice for somebody who has invented a product and is looking to be successful at that would be about his financial partnerships and to choose those carefully. If you think about it, um, he probably knows that device better than anybody. Right? And he's going to be able to find people like me that can help it along with the development. Where most physicians, most PhDs, most physicists don't have expertise is where companies like yours do have expertise. If you get the right financial partner, whether that's um, a large company that's doing a bill to buy, whether it's a, a VC company, whether it's a, uh, you know an early stage uh, private equity like PTV, if you get the right partner, they'll, they're going to have all the other pieces. They're going to have the advisors. They've done this before. They're going to be active on your board. Um, so I would have to say the, the best piece, the best single piece of advice I would do would be pick a financial partner that can help you, that really will help you, and that's compatible with you, compatible with your goals, your kind of people, right? That you're, because there's going to be a near-death experience probably, right? There's going to be some shouting at one of the board meetings. There's going to be a lawsuit maybe. Uh, there's going to be patent issues. So figure out a financial, all of which you would not have as a medical person or a physicist expertise in dealing with. If you pick the right financial partner um, who will stick with you and support you, and somebody that you feel like is a friend, that's probably the most valuable decision you're going to make. I, I, I've seen companies where um, they are going out, they're dying, startups, small companies, and you know you can see the financial advisors just peel off. Yeah. Well, Dr. Slade, I think that's that's incredible advice for, and I appreciate that as an investor. We appreciate that as well because it's true. I that, think so. That the capabilities that, that the capabilities should be different, and we're we're blessed in our portfolio to have incredible leaders leading our companies and inventors of technologies that they've brought to market and they put their life's work into it. Great advisors around the table to help them shape that for the future. We saw a lot of your advisors up here. Right. This and, meeting. And it, it, for us, it's a mosaic of putting all that those skills together and the role that you play. As a global thought leader in ophthalmology, you know we're very appreciative of one having access to you, but more importantly, uh, the idea that you're committed, you're personally committed to sort of help these companies work through those phases. Dr. Slade, thanks for joining us today. Oh, we really thanks, appreciate you being here. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.